everybody, and welcome to this episode of Prospects of Christ, where athletes are able to share their journey, their authentic story in and through Christ. I have a very special guest today. It was actually one of my teammates who knew Miss Alana Falk, and she has graciously blessed us to be a part of this show today. And before she takes the reins and introduces herself and we dive into this podcast, the one word that I just want you to keep in mind as we roll through this is relentless. Relentless is a very strong word. It's very powerful. I've been able to speak with Alana offline and the way that she's going to bring this to you today really sets the tone for how she lives her life and the experiences that she has had. Today on the show, we're going to talk about her journey of relentlessness and what that means to her. But specifically, we're going to set the table with her personal experiences, her personal identity, and what that actually means. Then we're going to roll through some saving graces and the blessings that some certain things and people have been in her life. And then we're going to wrap it all together and we're going to take a deep dive through purpose. And then we're going to latch on to this idea of relentlessness. So Alana, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. Excellent. Well, let's let the audience know a little bit about you and your story. So tell us where you are, where you're from, and of course, we're going to dive into your athletic journey a little bit later, but give us the high level and then we'll jump in. Yeah, so currently I live in Florida. I live on an island called Nettles Island outside of Jensen Beach, so it's the West Palm Beach area, but I am a true Okie, so I have a lot of passion for Oklahoma and a lot of love, and uh, I'm 25. I own my own business. I, I help business owners master their messaging so that way whenever they market, they do it successfully and they really showcase the heart of their business authentically. So that's kind of, I have two dogs, I'm married, no kids yet. And um, yeah, just doing this thing called life. <laughs> well, I have to ask, what kind of dogs do you have? So I have a lab, her name is Delta. She is six and then I have an Aussie, her name is Willow and she's four. Delta is a hunting dog. She's going to be retiring soon. So that means a new puppy, hopefully, uh, in the next year or two. And then Willow, she's just nuts. She's just a crazy dog. She's the sweetest thing. I could never get rid of her, but she, uh, yeah, she, she's our introduction to a toddler is what we like to say. I have to understand and agree with that. You have two yeah. very happy and energetic dogs and hopefully we don't have any wild interruptions on today's show, but if we do, they're part of the family, so we can handle a few barks every now and then. So uh, I'm, in, I'm encouraged to visit with you today, Alana. Specifically though, let's dive in. Of course, you being on this podcast means that you've been some sort of athlete in your life. So let's start at the top. Let's start talking about your journey being a high school senior and going into the college space of being a collegiate athlete? Yeah. So I'll back it up even further. So when I was younger, I had a lot of energy and I thought that my mom wanted me to be like the ballerina cheerleader gal. 
and I hated tights and I could not do the splits and I couldn't sit still. So she was like, you know what? We're just going to put her into soccer, see what happens. And um, it got out all of my energy. And so it stuck. But growing up, I was never on, like humbly never on like the top teams. I really just did it as a means of escape and just enjoyment. And then definitely when I got into my like middle school years, I ran track as well, which I loved, love track. I started having to think about college and what I wanted to do. I worked all throughout high school. So I was very much like job oriented, family oriented, and just like go and get the job done. I wanted to be an adult as fast as I could. I just was very much like independent and I didn't really fall into a lot of like the school things or friend, friend things. But I knew I was looking at college as like a business decision. So I wanted to help save my parents and myself as much money as possible. But my mom and stepdad and my dad, they didn't, they didn't know what like the rules were to get their kid into college on a, on a scholarship. And so my mom just kind of unbeknownst to me felt like, well, if she's meant to go for soccer, God will make a way. So we never wrote one letter. We never invited one coach to a showcase. It truly just was by the grace of God and his path for me that he had me end up at Northeastern State University in Tahlequah, Oklahoma. So organically, I got sought out by my coach through another teammate of mine, actually. And um, and that's how I ended up there. So it, my mom especially loved that it was only an hour away from, from home. <laughs> and as a senior, there was just a lot of weird circumstances. It was almost like the enemy was just trying to blockade like every like dream desire in my life. So my team fell apart. My competitive team, I played in uh, high school and competitive. My competitive team fell apart my junior year of high school. So my senior year, I only played high school soccer and in the soccer world, that's kind of a big deal because, you know, you have your final showcases, you have final scouts looking at you. And actually, you know, unfortunately for a lot of the girls, it's where a lot of them have their D1 scholarships and they get injured, you know? So I felt like in hindsight, it protected me, but it definitely had an impact on if I was going to be good enough, you know, in my coach's eyes. But anyway, ended up there and uh, it all worked out, you know, <laughs> God wanted yeah. me there. That's that's great. So you mentioned a couple of different things, but one thing is you didn't have a showcase team, but you ended up on a so soccer scholarship. So how how did you see God move in that realm of even those conversations? Because that's quite the anomaly, I would say, in the athletic world to not be in front of any coach and then through a teammate, you get a scholarship, which is ironic because Derek Shedden, who is a former guest, he has a very similar experience to that. So ironically, you both ended up through friends, which is super cool. And he also played at Northeastern State. Good plug for Derek there. Uh, but let's get into the college journey, the college experience. There was a couple of rough patches there. and. Obviously, that is a little bit through making friends. So elaborate on what you made a note of not being really plugged in. What does that mean to you? Yeah. So growing up, like I said, just to touch on, I was very family oriented. So I grew up in a Christian household and a lot of my 
growth with my family and even with the Lord was very much like consequence heavy, fear heavy, you know, like if you did this choice, it could lead in a, dis a disastrous consequence. I heard all the time growing up, don't be in the wrong place at the wrong time. You are who you associate with. And so I just had this ingrained in me no, to no fault of my parents because they just wanted what was best for me. But it was just, I never wanted to disappoint anybody. And I always wanted to be a light for Jesus. And so that was truly like my heart's intention. But when I got to school, it kind of hindered me on being able to really connect with people and to love them and to see them. And then, you know, to preface, this is my perspective and my story. You know, I, I now know from friendships that I've made with certain teammates um, later in my college journey, you know, how I was coming across and perceived, but going into it and, and now in hindsight, I know that, my heart was to always try to be a light, but it, it came off misunderstood in a lot of ways. And so one of the things that, you know, was really challenging was that everybody knew that I was saving myself for marriage. Purity was a big deal because of my childhood, you know, drinking before the age of 21 was a really big deal to me. I never went to parties. And so in high school and, and so in college, I just was really scared, honestly, to, I didn't know how to act. I didn't know how to be in those circumstances and connect with my, my teammates and not partake in things I didn't feel comfortable with, you know, constantly like, well, if I go and I don't partake, are, gonna, are they going to think I'm judging them? Just trying to have like honest conversations where it's like, I'm not judging you. This is just my personal choice. It was a really difficult windy road to navigate. And so truly my freshman year, um, Every chance I got, I drove home and I went home to be with my family because I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to make friends. I didn't know how to do that thing. And so it really felt like I was caught between, you know, two realities of trying to live my life for the Lord, trying to be light, but trying not to, I don't know, be off-putting to people and, and to not be involved with trying to be involved. It was just a really delicate season for me. And yeah, that college experience wasn't the normal college experience for me. It was tough. Thank you for sharing that. You mentioned yeah. one of the things that you said was being caught between two realities. And I'm sure that we're going to get into this, but how would you say that you escaped that? How would you say that you meshed those two realities, entering into your freshman year, entering into your sophomore year and throughout, how would you say that that actually came together? Or would you say that it was always separate? It's a good question. I think, honestly, it was separate. I overcompensated in a lot of ways to try to come across really strong, unbothered, confident, uh, assured of myself, like I wasn't lacking in security, that I was going to be okay. Um, so that was the front that I gave off, which again, I think played into me being very misunderstood that I was acting better than other people and self-righteous and miscity two-shoes, like the goody-tushy Christian, you know, 
but behind closed doors, um, it was very lonely, very isolating. Um, I, you know, we'll probably get into this a little bit too, but I mean, I didn't know that I was developing intense social anxiety, anxiety in general and depression because I just was having a really hard time navigating. You know, no one sat me down and said, hey, here's some wisdom in this situation. Here's how not to do it. And here's some pointers and guidance on how to do it. Because I really was, I was told all my life that I seemed a lot older for my age, which I think maybe did play into my ego a little bit. Cause I, I felt very, I did feel very assured in my convictions of like what I knew to be true, what I believed and who I wasn't going to be. But as far as just being a friend and being a human and having fun, that was what was hard. So I don't think they ever meshed even now at 25 and with the help of my husband, cause he's very much the fun person uh, he lived a different college experience. So when we got together, people were like, you're dating who, you know? So it was just like, he's allowed me to see from an outside perspective, how to soften in ways that is still biblical and is still kind, but is still showing Jesus and still staying true to who you are. So to answer your question, I never meshed the two. I didn't know how it was very separate. I, I felt like I was battling how to really be true to myself, you know, in a lot of ways, which sounds so corny, but it's true. <laughs> it's a, <laughs> it's a battle we have to face. And I will say that there are a lot of external forces that continuously push our buttons in different ways. And we've got to figure this thing out. You know, we talk about a lot of, a lot about identity and community on the podcast, just through the various stories that we've already had. Uh, so you're definitely not alone in that. The one thing that I would ask though, is, Interestingly enough, whenever you talk about your personal meshing or not or lack thereof, these two realities that you talk about, you talked about being confident and not lacking anything in terms of your value and your worth. And ironically, whenever we talk about the the life of an athlete, those are exactly the words that we often describe athletes to be we describe them to be confident and not show emotion and be driven and have all of these things but even when you talk about the separate realities it all comes back to it's like this facade that we have to live and so breaking that down it's like what do I do? That's the question of the hour and the word is relentless so we're going to continue to roll right through this so We've talked a lot about personal life and circumstances as it pertains to your athletic life. Is there anything else that you just want to highlight that you would want to say and then lead into us actually talking about life on the field? Yeah, well, I think you honestly summed up what this podcast and the heart behind this podcast really is, is breaking through the facade because I don't think that people fully understand and accept the depth of emotion that the athletic life has, especially as a Christ follower. I mean, the sport in and of itself and living the life as an athlete is so full of emotion. I mean, for me growing up, I had a very rocky, blessed, but rocky childhood. I had experienced some things that 
have shaped me to who I am, but I've been working through and dealing with as far as trauma goes. And one of the things that my coach would tell me in high school was to channel that anger. They always, my, my high school coach in competitive soccer, this is just a side tangent. They would always try to find a way to tick me off, like to make me really, really, really mad. Cause they felt like that was how I played my best game. So my stepdad and my coach would always try to push my buttons and tell me, you know, take that emotion, that anger, that hurt, that pain that you're feeling and channel it into the game. Now, as an emotional person already, and as a female, I feel like we carry a lot of the worth and the accolades and the pressure and the emotion of it differently, where for me, it was really debilitating in a lot of aspects. The, the self-criticism that I had was very debilitating. So I feel like something I would want to touch on is if people don't, if students that are going to college or that are in college or that are listening to this, that don't feel like they have somebody to talk to, that feel like me where you don't, you didn't get any guidance, this would probably be the place to come because you're able to hear from other people, but also opening up the conversation of like, it's okay to let the athletic student life be emotional because it is. I mean, you're in your early 20s, you have so much going on, you're processing your childhood, you're processing becoming an adult, you're trying to, you know, balance the school life, which is stressful, and having pressure of competing. You know, you're trying to make friends with the people that you're trying to take their spot. I mean, it's just a very complex and kind of messed up <laughs> thing because you're like this just doesn't seem normal <laughs> and it's just it's a really like hard thing to navigate so yeah I think that in a lot of ways it can feel like you're having to put on a facade every day you know you got to show up and you got to show out and you know leave the stuff off the field and it just yeah I don't know that's the only thing I'd want to touch on with that is is a uh, come here and find a place to, of people to talk to here, you know, create community here or find, you know, people at your school that you can talk to about it. So. That's fantastic. So many great nuggets in that, Alana. Thank you. So Alana, one thing that you touched on was fighting for playing time. And I'm very curious if you would just take a dive into social pressures, being on a team, full of females, you're all carrying emotional weight. And I don't mean that condescendingly at all. You touched on it a little bit earlier, but if you have the societal pressures already, and then you said a minute ago that you're fighting for a spot for the people you're trying to make friends with, what was the athletic life on the field? Because obviously you can't just put it in a bucket and say, my personal life doesn't matter anymore. Coaches will tell you that which in a way you can channel that, but it's always there. Let's be honest. There are always ways that you can enter in to this, this field and then say, oh man, forgot to do my homework last night and I got a test tomorrow. Like that's going to happen naturally. So we're human. Talk about fighting for playing time and how that impacted your personal values as a person. So I, uh, I felt like because of me being misunderstood to teammates and, and my coach, um, in a way, I think that it, it impacted playing time. For him, it was, you know, a, a big deal to show respect. One of the things that we had on the sidelines was nobody sat. 
we didn't have benches that he would let us sit on. We, we would all stand, we would all cheer. And he would look down at the end of the row, a person that maybe never stepped on the field to make sure that they were cheering. Cause he, he really emphasized that it wasn't about you. It was about the team. So I will give him credit. Like he, that was a huge core value for our team, but I do in a way felt like I, my playing time as a person, I was, I, it was impacted because there's a lot of things that we didn't jive on outside of the field. And I think it, and from my perspective, and maybe it was just that I just didn't do a good enough job on the field. I don't know. Um, but I think in that way, it was hard. I, I felt, you know, in a lot of situations that there were some things that I, um, wasn't able to get over a hurdle of relationship with certain teammates and, and, you know, the coaching staff and things like that. And a aspect about me is that I don't like, I don't, I don't like not being liked. And so I was always trying to find ways to be liked, even though I wasn't going to do the things that they wanted me to do to be liked. You know what I'm saying? So I think that that had an impact on my playing time. I think as far as like, whenever we were in practices, you know, you would have battles and, and trying to be aggressive and trying to compete, you know, and, but then off the field, it's like, you shake hands, you hug, you encourage one another, you compliment where they need complimented. And, you know, I think that a note that I had wrote down as I was trying to like really pray about this and think about what I wanted to say was, you know, loving people and extending grace, even as a teammate goes so much farther than preaching your opinions and your values. And I had to especially be careful about providing correction on the field because I, you know, I needed to be corrected. And so I never wanted to come across as like hypocritical, but obviously in times of heated emotion. And I mean, during preseason, especially we were out there three day, three times a day, most every day we had, I don't even remember how many fitness tests, but intense fitness tests practices were anywhere from two to three hours. I mean, you are getting challenged in a lot of different ways and with people that you've never met that are coming from all different backgrounds. And so though you can't force everyone to like you and you have to have somewhat of a respect on the field, you can, they will remember for, they will remember you for how you made them feel. And actually I have a friend and I didn't write this down in my notes, but I had a friend that she was a forward. I was an outside mid. So one of my skills I think was what got me through to being recruited was I'm I can run fast, I guess. This is what other people tell me. And so I was used for my speed. And um, anyway, she and I would duke it out. We did, we had it, we had it out for one another at a couple different times. And I think that that had an impact on me as well with how my coach saw me and how I was going to get playing time the next week. But now she's one of my best friends. And we, it's just so funny because she was a year older than I was. We did not like each other on the field. <laughs> and then outside of soccer, it was like, we had this commonality of loving Jesus and this respect just kind of bloomed. So anyway, I would say as far as playing time goes, it was just probably like most people, you know, if you screw up, it's going to impact it. If you're maybe if your coach is, a, you know, not really happy with you off the field, it's going to impact your playing time. 
but I do think in some personal aspects, I took some things a little bit more personally as far as character and, um, you know, feeling like I was so different from certain people and coaching staff that it, that I felt personally like it, it impacted my playing time. So that was hard. I can imagine one thing that we haven't talked about and I'm just going to throw a wrench in this and see where it goes, but we've talked about social pressures. We've talked about athletic pressures, but one thing that we don't often talk about as athletes or even understanding the athletic journey, there's a lot going on and we've talked about this complexity, but let's flip the script and talk a little bit about academics. I mean, of course, academics plays a huge part in being able to play. <laughs> so how would you say adding this third complex thing onto your experience, how did that impact you going through the four years of Northeastern State? Um, <laughs> so to be perfectly honest, had it not been for my scholarship, I would categorize myself as one of those people that's like, college is not for me. I, I, and the best way of saying it, I don't think I had much integrity as far as taking tests and schoolwork and things. If we're picking up what I'm putting down, I did what I had to do to get through. I did not like school. I graduated in three and a half years, actually. So even though I played four years, I sped up as much as I could, like, I did not want to be in school. I wanted to be out of school. I wanted to be starting my career, my business, whatever. I wanted to be married. You know, like I had things outside of school that kind of took priority. And fun fact, I actually got married my senior year. So that had a huge like pivot in, I think the way that I, you know, my accomplishments, my senior year as an athlete. So I think for school, I just, I just did what I had to do to get a decent grade. You know, like I got a 3.0. I really didn't care. (laughs) This isn't going to affect me. I wasn't going on to do anything special with my, you know, diploma or whatever. Is that what it's called? Diploma. (laughs) See, I really don't care. I just was like, whatever. It's cool. But that's just me. I mean, I wasn't like this student that was like, I have to get good grades. And, you know, I was like, hey. These make degrees, man, you know, <laughs> like disclaimer, disclaimer for those listening. It's not that Al- Alana is telling you to do that. She's just telling you yeah. her experience and how it related to the broader scope of her testimony. So uh, yeah. take everything with the grain of salt, everybody. This is one of those things where it's like, hey, we've been there, done that as student athletes. Some of the stuff you're going to take away and you're going to love, but some of the stuff it's like, man, that's not me. And that's okay. The point of this, I will just put a plug for Alana's sake. The point of this is to share authentic journeys and how that has a, how that has shaped us and who we are today. So Alana, thank you for being real because honestly, I don't think people are real enough. And so yeah. the truth, the truth can set a lot of people free as not only we're talking, but as people are listening. So Let's get into it. One of the things that we talked about is at the beginning of every year, you were questioning if you, if you should actually be there. So 
I would love it if we could take a deep dive into that, talk about purpose, talk about the overall framework of you being in this relentless journey. What does, I'm questioning if I should be here. What does that mean to you? Yeah, well, I think because of, you know, the lack of feeling strong enough, confident enough, like whatever word you want to put over it to make friendships had an impact on just the journey of your college experience. Um, and so I, I mean, I wasn't like a top ranked player. I, I had to fight, you know, for time there. And because I was so extremely critical of myself, I, I had a really hard time with showing up every day and feeling like, okay, I'm here to like do a job and I'm, and I'm here doing a good job. I think having that assurance in myself of, of like, you're good enough or you're worthy enough as you are, you know, and I always, I'm a perfectionist at heart. So I always felt like there's more I can do. There's more I can do. And growing up, you know, whenever you hear, like if your coach stops critiquing you, that means they stop caring about you. But at the same time, because I was so critical, I sought out so much either affirmation or correction because I wanted to feel like I was progressing, that I was doing everything good enough in the eyes of people around me and especially my coach. So, you know, if I didn't get the outcome that I wanted from all of this emotion and heart that I felt, I, and then because I wasn't, you know, having the memories that I wanted to have and the friendships that I wanted to have. And I felt like it was just such a daily struggle for me. Yeah. At the end of the year, going into the next year, when you sit down with your coach and you have like your end of year review and, you know, you talk about like your scholarship, you talk about money, you talk about like your progression and like where you're at and what you would like to focus on for the next year. I went in with the intent of not, not with the intent, but with the questioning of, God, should I just quit? You know, can I leave? Like it, it felt like if I'm not liked, if people don't like me, if my coach doesn't like me, if I'm not getting the playing time, like, why am I even here? And I, I will say like, I played a decent amount, you know, I, I didn't start and finish every single game. My junior year was probably my best year. And, you know, that was when I felt like I was really on top of the world, you know, with my athletic career. But yeah, I mean, I still relationally and my value as a person felt attacked and it was probably just my own mental warfare going on with it. And so, yeah, I went in and I was, but I never felt clarity and peace to leave. You know, I always felt like, okay, I'm supposed to be here for a reason. I may not know what that reason is right now. And I may not know in 30 years, I may not even know until the day I die, you know, and they're up talking, like whoever's sitting there talking about me and so I just had to hold on to just the, just, okay, God, like, why do you have me here? And I will say this is kind of a segue into FCA. We found that my sophomore year and my roommate and I, and um, that was really what I felt like kept me strong and kept me going was because it was every Thursday. I felt like that was where my community was. That was where I could be myself. I could really just let my fun side come out, let my bubbly side come out and my, my Christian side, you know, <laughs> like I sang, we led worship, Shedden, Derek Shedden and I and Emma, we all led worship together. And um, 
those were my best memories. And that was what I felt like it really boiled down to. And so annoyingly, every Thursday, I would send in a group, our group me with my team. Don't forget FCA's night. Don't forget FCA's night. And like freshman year, sophomore year, no one really went as far as I knew. It was a small group, but yeah, it started kind of, you know, people started to come. I started to give it a chance. And I, so I felt like maybe just maybe like that was why, you know, if anything, it would just be a doorway to say, Hey, come to FCA, like come, you know, do this instead of whatever you had planned on doing on a Thursday night. So that's where I felt like I had a little bit more purpose other than just being there as just to play soccer. Love FCA. This is an interesting question. Did you ever learn the secret of the broom game? Yes. Okay. I, for whatever reason, I don't know if it was because I wasn't paying attention or I just really didn't care enough. I'm not really sure. I still don't know the secret to the broom game. Somebody tried to tell me once and I said, no, you cannot tell me the secret of the broom game. So if you're listening to this and you're like, what is the broom game? You'll have to go find that on your own because oh, it's, yeah, I'd actually forgotten about the broom game until you said letting it, letting it go. Your, your fun side. The broom game. We played that game all the stinking time. Oh my gosh. It was so much fun. And the best part was like, once you felt like you were seasoned, you know, you're like a veteran of, of FCA yeah. and new people would come in and they're like, what is this? And what the heck? I don't get it. And you're just like, ah, you know, uh-huh. <laughs> like, well, you, can, you. <laughs> you can say haha to me because I still don't know. It's fine. You still don't understand. It's okay. We can talk about it later. Yeah, we'll talk about it later. That's that's a fun segue into our next podcast that we do. We can have it designated to the broom game. But one of the things that you did say, and I am intrigued to hear, you said that you were able to be yourself when it came to being plugged into FCA, which that's really loaded. And people listening might not catch that. I caught it because it allows us to be our true self. So I would love to hear how your personal experience of FCA just really unpacked the real Alana and how that carried on into academics or the playing field and your teammates, if you don't mind sharing a little bit about that. Yeah, so two things. One, kind of going back to like the living in two realities, I felt like on one end, on the athletic side, everything had to be very, like, this is a job. We're here for a job. Um, and I, I'm i a big dork. Like, I, I'm very goofy. I am just silly. Like, I just have really silly moments. And I... <clears throat> I, uh, I'm very outgoing in a lot of ways. And so at FCA, I just... I didn't... It wasn't really there to, like be a job it was just there to just make people laugh and make people have fun and to just come in and kind of let the pressures off of school and athletics and but then to also like really you know I wanted people to come in and see me for who I was of like 
she really loves the Lord. Like she really loves Jesus. This is who she really is. She's not trying to be perfect. She's not trying to be self-righteous. She's not trying to put herself on a pedestal. She really does have a heart of just, she's devoted to God and she's devoted to getting better every day. And that's really who she is. She doesn't do everything perfectly. And she's not trying to say that she does everything perfectly. And so that was really where I felt like if, if they could just see this, you know, and, and just see Jesus in me, that was the job that I needed to do there. But it was a different job, if that makes sense. But I mean, my roommate and I, we were just dorks. Like we just were loud and silly and, you know, dance around and, um, you know, and, and practice and stuff. I, I didn't do that as much. <laughs> I had my moments, but it wasn't like, oh, this is just who she is. Yeah. So would you say that the social anxiety told you not to do that on the soccer field or in the locker room? Or would you say that it was more so a disconnect of, man, I just don't quite fit in to the crowd because FCA is my crowd. I mean, how did you play that dynamic out of, maybe you were the only believer on your team minus a couple, I don't know. Yeah, well, okay, so there's a couple of different things to this. One, all of my life, I was never, I never felt like I fit into any crowd. I had maybe one really good friend and a few friends, you know, everybody else. I felt like if they came to me and talked to me, it was because they had a problem and it was behind closed doors, but they never would share with other people that they came to me, you know? So it was like, they knew me to be somebody that was going to be honest with them, tell them, you know, what I thought that they needed to hear, try to give them wisdom, try to love on them and give them advice, all that stuff. But because of that, I never really felt like I fit in into anything. So Emma was really my person when I found her because I had a lot of personal things going on. My college best friend and I, you know, there was a lot of heartache there because she went to a different school. We didn't see each other. There was things going on. There were weird things happening in my life as a, you know, my freshman year, just crazy, crazy stuff that are were It was just so random. So when I found Emma, I felt like, okay, at least I have a person, you know, to love me and understand me. So with that, because I never felt like I fit in and people would come to me for advice in, in private, I felt like, well, if they could just sit with me long enough, maybe they would know my heart, you know, they would get to know the real me, but the social anxiety side of that was really bred from, I go off a lot of body language and I would always be very anxious that I would have an interaction with somebody and then they would go and gossip about me. And so when I was in a one-on-one conversation or maybe even a group setting, all I would do the entire time was think, do they actually like me? Am I saying too much? Am I saying the right thing? Am I saying the wrong thing? They're probably never going to want to speak to me again. They say they like me, but they're lying. You know, so I was never really present and just enjoying the moment. I was always struggling with what am I doing to get them to like me or to not, not like me? And are they being honest with if they do like me? I had a good friend of mine who shot me straight and I did the same with her, but she was, she was two years older than me. And finally one day she, she and I became good friends cause we, we played the same position 
And um, she told me what she thought about me, like my freshman year and what other people perceived me. And she said, you know, we thought you were a stuck up blank. And I was like, why? You know, I just, I didn't understand like, what was that? What was coming off to make it that way? Cause that was just not what I wanted. The opposite of what I wanted. So, you know, that was really eye opening for me to begin a lot of like self-reflection and awareness and development as far as, okay, Lord, you created me to be this way for a reason. Like you gave me a voice, you gave me talents, you gave me weaknesses, you gave me all of these facets of who I am. You've put me here on this team and at this school for a reason. It's like, how is all of this going to work together? Because I, I feel like I don't fit in. I feel like I have a couple of people that really know me. I want more people to know me, but I don't know how to get them to know me. There's so much anxiety that comes along with that. And so I don't know if that answered your question, but yeah, that was kind of how all of that happened and came, not really came together, but yeah. Just asking the Lord, like, what was the point? Yeah. What's the point? I think we all have to ask ourselves that. So you mentioned that whenever you were talking through, you know, therapy, Emma meeting her, FCA that really started your journey of really capturing a lot of these personal things as it relates to your faith. So, you know, putting it out there, Alana, talk to us about your spiritual journey. I mean, what were you doing behind closed doors? How were you navigating these waters before and after you met Emma? I mean, what does your spiritual journey look like to say, that was a pivotal God moment. That was something that really not necessarily shaped your future, but you can look back and you can say, man, that's the God moment. And then I did X to kind of begin this journey of self-healing and self-reflection about these two differing realities that you're having to battle with. Well, one of the things when I started going to the school counselor, she was actually a retired soccer player she was like the the best on the team I mean everybody knew who she was she had an amazing title and reputation but she was also a very strong Christian and so I was like well if the coach likes her and respects her and she loved me like even as a as a in high school when I would come to camp I instantly felt connected and safe with her so she was actually a school counselor there and she, she began to talk to me because I went in and I'm like, why am I like this? You know, like, I hate being like this. And we talked a lot about things that had to do with my personal life and kind of going through the symptoms, but really coming down to a root. And so because of that, it began to create, a, like open up a new box for me in my mind of, you know, okay, Lord, these things have come to my attention these are things that I'm obviously dealing with that I didn't know because I'm very much somebody that I don't want to ever victimize myself. I'm actually like opposite of victimhood. Um, and so because of that, I, I, uh, I don't want to say like, oh, my life was hard or oh, my college experience was hard because it just, it sounds like pitying. Like I don't want pity, you know, and I don't want to sound like I'm over dramatizing anything, but, um, I had to come to the realization like, okay, you are going through something like you have things going on mentally. You know, she diagnosed, diagnosed me with depression and anxiety. And so because of that, it, it caused me to go back to the Lord and find solitude with him. 
uh, even more. And so a lot of the things that I would do is I would go on drives, like long drives by myself, or I'd go sit in my car and like listen to worship music. My car was really like my safe space. And I just really found a lot of like solitude and peace with asking the Lord, just one more than anything to give me strength and to give me confirmation and validation, like assure me that I'm doing the right thing. Like I'm in the right place. I'm doing the right thing. And that, you know, that he was with me through the whole, the whole thing. So yeah, that would be my kind of answer to that. That's really good. So two things. One, you took action. And the second thing is you had a safe space. And I feel like the more that I hear stories and talk to people, I feel like those are the two things that people don't often find. They don't often take action, which action can mean a lot of different things. But I would say that it would, when you're breaking down action, it's just taking small steps. And I think over the course of the journey that you've shared, you, you took small steps and led you to the safe space, you know, talking to the counselor, finding Emma as a, as a very close friend, finding FCA. Those are like the action steps. But then also one key thing that I would just highlight is your personal awareness to say, I actually have to do something. <laughs> I actually have yeah. to do something on my own. That's kind of, against the flesh to say, ah, it's just what it is. You know, I've personally dealt with that to where it's like, nah, it's fine. That's just who I am or whatever. But I think that there's so much value in what you just said of taking action, finding a safe space and being vulnerable and really diving in and self-reflecting, which actually brings us to our next focus of one of the other things which would be the tattoo that you have, which I'm going to let you kind of spill the beans on that as far as what the tattoo actually is and why it means something to you. Yeah. So tattoo says relentless, which is like the, the, the topic for today. Um, so actually Emma, she was from Arkansas, Fort Smith, and she had a tattoo and Sadie Robertson had a tattoo. So both of their stories, I was like, okay, if Sadie Robertson gets a tattoo, then it's obviously not a sin, you know, to get a tattoo. <laughs> and um, I, again, I just never wanted to like disappoint my family or make my mom think that I was like on the wrong path of like <laughs> sin and, you know, the devil or whatnot. And so <laughs> truly, so I, uh, but I needed something to symbolize just being relentless, being steadfast, like staying rooted into like, you're more than your, your circumstance and the pain is only temporary. And like this too shall pass. And, you know, in, in conjunction with like going on long drives and talking with somebody and having a friend, I mean, I was in my Bible every day. I, you know, um, went to FCA. I had, you know, I was constantly walking with the Lord. And I think that's like a huge part of it is it's, it's not something that if you're dealing with something like mental Ill illness or 
um, hyper criticism even, and, you know, trying to find like your, your place on your team and you feel like you don't fit in like it, your relationship with God can't just be touch and go. It has to be an everyday surrendrance and devotion and him giving you strength. You can't just pull it from thin air. So for me, the tattoo was just symbolizing that I had something that I could look at as a reminder of not just my athletic and college time, but my whole life, my childhood and everything. So yeah, it's right here on my wrist. There it is, Um, everybody. Yeah, that's just a little cursive. And, uh, you know, I, funny story, I was like trying to kind of warm my mom up, like milk it a little bit. And I'm like, Hey, I think really thinking about getting a tattoo mom. And this is when the white ink tattoos were like a big deal. Yeah. Do you remember that? I do. Okay. So, and she was, she had said at one point, like, Oh, they're kind of cute. And I was like, okay. You know, so I kind of just stashed that in my mind. Like I could use that later, you know? Cause I had been contemplating it for so long because yeah. not only is it a reminder for me, but I wanted it to be something that when people saw it and they were like, what does your tattoo say? Or what is that about? It gave me the opportunity to talk about this, you know, to talk about who Jesus has been in my life. And this, I had this epiphany this last year that yes, I've been relentlessly pursuing him. And I would challenge anybody that maybe feels like they could relate to a part of my story or that they're on their own journey, that they relentlessly pursue him. But I think what's the epiphany that he gave me was that he's always been relentlessly pursuing me, Um, that he never leaves his children and that everything that you are going through is not to, it's not void. It's not going to go to waste. And even in the moments where you're like, why am I supposed to be here? And I want to quit. And I feel so unwanted and so misunderstood. And like, I'm ruining everybody's time. And so what's the point that he has something, you know, he has you there for some reason. So that's really the tattoo is, is multifaceted, right? Like it's, it's a reminder for me. It's a way to talk about my testimony Um, but it's also that there's so much more heart to the Lord that we even realize that he loves us so much and he doesn't want us to have painful experiences just to have suffering, just to have a testimony, but that, you know, we live in such a broken world. So he's going to use everything for good in some way, even when we fail, even when we act out of flesh, even when we may be judgmental and self-righteous in certain circumstances, because we're broken human Christians. And I think that's something else that I want to touch on just quickly is maybe other people relate to this, but it's like, if you are a Christian, like you're supposed to never mess up. And if you say like, you're a student athlete, it's like on the field, you're supposed to always be like Tim Tebow. And you're like, good day to you, sir. You know, like (laughs) you just hit me and I'm mad, but that's okay. You're forgiven. Like my bad, you know, like (laughs) it's like, that is not, gonna ever happen I think as a Christian you're like facing more attacks because the enemy wants you to fail like he wants to detour people from Jesus and so that's a whole other thing that we could unpack but yeah that was a really long answer but that's really the tat that's what the tattoo symbolizes is just the whole story (laughs) The, the million dollar question Alana is not the font that you use for the tattoo or the meaning behind it. The mean, the real question is what does your mom 
actually think about it. Can we say that? Can we go there? <laughs> um, my papa actually, we were sitting on the couch one one day when it was pretty fresh, like it had just happened. And he was like, I go, well, what do you think about it? He's like, I think it's pretty cool. He's like, I've always wanted wine. Like he's wanted barbed wire around his, he's a big Choctaw man. So he's like wanted, you know, barbed wire on his arm. But, you know, I think, you know, to my family's benefit of the doubt, they're, they're seeing their niece. I was first born. I have a stepsister who's older than me. But as far as like my, my little years, they're seeing that little baby Alana going off to college and she's going to get a tattoo. What's going on? You know, like, so I understand. Um, but what's funny about it is the day, so I had been milking it, right? So like three months beforehand, I was like, I think I'm going to get a tattoo, mom. I just want you to know, like, really, really thinking I'm going to do it. And then like a few weeks before, I was like, it's going to happen soon, mom. Like, I, I really think I'm going to do it. And then I go to Arkansas with Emma and the day of, I go, hey, mom, I love you so much. And I'm going to get a tattoo today. And like panic sets in and she's like texting me. She's, you know, because I told her it was going to be the word relentless. So she sends me definition. She's like, Lana, are you sure about what this means? And it means the devil and like all this stuff. <laughs> I'm like, I was like, mom, in my head, I'm thinking that's not what it means to me. And that's like more of what's important. And if somebody asks me what it means, I'm going to tell them it's Jesus. So I just let her like blow up my phone. And then whenever <laughs> it was done, I sent her a picture and I was like, it's done. <laughs> that's fantastic. But now, you know, we're, we're what, like five years later, she doesn't mind it. Cause she knows like it really is. Cause I've told her. People have asked me what it means and I get to share Jesus with them. So you can't really be mad at that. That's true. <clears throat> if you be mad at that, you got to take it up with Jesus. That's yeah. whoever meets the road there. Yeah. All right. It's between you and God. Yeah. <laughs> it's between you and God. I'm out of it. I already did it. So yeah. that's, I can't, no take backs, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, so good. So good, Alana, in so many different ways. Specifically, before we go into final takeaways, I am for the anomaly of people listening that actually caught that you got married as a senior or <laughs> in your senior year. I would just first love to applaud your dedication to your husband and that relationship. But that's something you don't hear every day. And I would love it, kind of circling back to the very beginning of the podcast where you said, C's get degrees, but man, I had a vision that I wanted to get out of there fast as possible. I wanted to have a family. I wanted to get married. Clearly, in all of this, there is a relentless purpose. I don't want to miss that. There was always a bigger picture for you but breaking it down just in the midst of everything else you have going on, you quite honestly have a very strong faith. You might not have realized it then. I mean, you were going through some stuff, but overall, just painting this picture of what you have for our audience, it's obviously evident that you had a strong faith and you were working toward a very strong faith. So if you don't mind, I'd love to just hear you sped up, Three and a half years, you graduated. I'm assuming that there was a season of soccer year three and a half, four. But on top of that, you got married. So 
what would you like to share any learning experiences from that? Because I'm sure there are some, but let's yeah. unpack it if you don't mind. Well, to be honest, this could be a whole other conversation. But what I will say is I don't regret it. I I did it for a multitude of reasons that I don't have time to get into today. Um, but will I say that it it benefited me in the long run of my life, of course, right? And and soccer is just a blimp of a moment. College is so short. And I think when you're in it, you feel like it's everything. And for me, I I was a little bit on the other extreme of that. I was like, it's so short. It's so, you know, just a small portion of my life. But looking back now, I'm like, oh my gosh, but it was so important. And I almost, I have a lot of regrets that I didn't cherish it as much as I should have. I didn't invest myself in the friendships and in my teammates and in the experience as much as I should have. And hear me when I say experience, I'm not talking like, I'm going to go out and get drunk. Like, I'm not saying that. I'm saying <laughs> just getting out of my comfort bubble, maybe not traveling home as much and, and going and getting involved in groups, even if I didn't connect with everybody or, you know, didn't see the world the same as other people, but just learning how to love people and be with people. So I, I do want to say that, but, you know, getting married for me, there was a, a lot behind the scenes that was going on. So I had one semester left. I should note that it was that last fall semester. I graduated in December of 2017. No, 20, something like that. I don't even, I'm not good with dates. That's right. 2017. <laughs> And so 28, no, no, 2018 was when I got married. So I graduated in December, 2018, January 4th of 2019, we moved to Atlanta, Georgia. So because I knew that my fiance was going to be going to chiropractic school uh, behind the scenes, <laughs> it was, well, we're going to be engaged because we were already engaged at that time. And he's going to go off to school and I'm going to be here. How is that going to work? And I was not going to do long distance. I was also saving myself for marriage, let's be honest. So I was like, what's the point in, in having a long year and a half to your engagement? And so for us, it was just like soccer aside, college aside. It was like we knew that after school there was going to be more for us. And so we felt like we needed to get married the summer before that last semester. Now, do I all the time recommend it? No, it hindered my, I would say accomplishments as a senior, you know, athlete, a senior player. It, it, because of so many personal implications that were happening behind the scenes, it had a negative impact on my mental health. And there's a lot that was going on that I just can't share here. So yeah, but I mean, was it fun? Was it great? Did everybody know him? Yes. You know, like it, and it, for us, it really didn't change much just because we were already like, we had gone to school together and we were dating through college. And so getting married didn't really feel that different other than we were living together and we had our dogs, you know? So, but to other people, it was definitely like, what is going on? <laughs> what are they doing? So yeah, I don't know if that's like, I don't, 
I don't recommend it to most people. I think it's just, if you feel called to do that, like if God's saying, hey, now's the time, then be obedient to that. And, you know, that's between you and your fiance and the Lord, honestly. But it wasn't, it, I wouldn't say that my life was like smooth sailing through it all. You know, it definitely had challenges. Yeah. Well, so. thank you so much for sharing. I think there's value even in that. I would say the takeaway from all of that, there's a lot, but the key is relentlessly pursuing God in those moments. I think that that could be the tagline of today's podcast. And it goes back to this idea that you did and still do have a strong faith and you can look back and you can say, X, Y, and Z that really brings it all together. And so with that, Alana, I would love to bring this show all together. And for the audience listening, we've set the table with Alana as a person, personal experiences. We've touched on her journey as a student, as an athlete. But the most important thing that I would say is her relentless journey in and through Christ and her willingness to share this time with us, quite honestly, learning about her story and taking something from it. Alana, I know that you have just a few points that you would like to highlight from your own personal testimony in your own personal words, just a little bit of encouragement, a final call to, act, to action as we close out and wrap up today's show. So take it away, Alana. I know you've got something to say. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, looking back now, I thought at the time I was so mature and I, I carried myself well. And I think immaturity blinded me of a lot of things. I had a lot of blind spots. And so if I could go back to myself at 18, 19, I would tell her that kind of like what I said earlier, that you know, loving people and extending grace does so much more than feeling like you have to give unsolicited advice and share opinions or even values, um, that your actions should demonstrate and display Jesus more than things that you say. Because a lot of the time tone and, and things can just be really misconstrued. So there's like, you know, three attributes that I would say my younger self and anybody that could relate to this should have. And it's just self-awareness, humility with self-awareness and kindness and servanthood. I think as a Christ follower and something that I was dealing with selfishly was, you know, I wanted to be a great soccer player. I wanted to be, I wanted to have the accolades. I wanted to have a title. I wanted to be known for whatever, you know, and, and have like good stats and things like that. So there was a lot of self, there's a lot of selfishness that can naturally come with being an athlete. But I think as a Christ follower, servanthood has to shine and be more of a priority. So when you go into the locker room or when you go on the field, it's not what can I gain from this, but what can I give up to other people? Because at the end of the day, the accolades don't really matter. The stats, no one's going to remember unless you're like, Ryan Helsley from NSU and now you're in the majors and things like that. Like, but no one really remembers maybe other than how fast he pitched, you know, but they don't remember specific stats. They, they don't remember all of our stats. They remember the people that we were. 
And so as a Christian, just to love others really, really well, the way that Christ loved the church, not the way that we think he loved people. And, you know, get out of your comfort bubble. Like that's something I would tell her is stop playing it safe by going home and running home to family. And, you know, I remember actually, this is a funny story. When I was 21, I had gone home for a barbecue with my family. Cause when I say family, I'm talking about aunts, uncles, grandparents, cousins, like everybody comes together. Right. So we all go to my grand, mommy and papa's and we were at a barbecue. My uncle, he comes in, he's the youngest of the four. And he, he and I have a really fun relationship and he comes up and he goes, what are you doing here? And I was like, what do you mean? I'm hanging out with the fam. And he was like, go back to school, like go do something, like go to the lake. You know, he went to NSU. So he, I think, so he was like, go get away, like stop coming home. And, <laughs> and then I was, he goes, you want me to make you a drink? And I go, no. And he goes, why you're 21. Why are you so scared to drink in front of your family? So, you know, so it was just like, I was always so scared of things. And he was like, go get back to school, make memories. Like you only get this for such a short amount of time. So, you know, make the memories. A couple of other things is that I have a lot of nuggets over on my notes, but <laughs> this is huge that it's not your job to save everyone. You know, that was something that I had gone into school thinking like as a Jesus follower, we have this great commission, like we have to save everybody. But sometimes that's not what people need. They don't need you to come in and be their savior. They need you to come in and be an ear or be a shoulder or be an encourager or just to leave them the heck alone because they don't want to be around you. To <laughs> <laughs> Respect boundaries, you know? And so they don't need saving. It's just your job to show them Jesus. And like I said, athletics, accolades, coaches, family, they don't determine your identity. Um, so trying to, you know, spend your time finding affirmation and validation through them is only going to leave you feeling more empty and always hungry for their affirmation and validation. Um, and then lastly, you know, he has you where you are for a reason. And on the days where you're questioning and you want to give up and you want to throw in the towel that you have to remember that your purpose is, has to be bigger than the temporary pain. Um, and sometimes the reason he has you there is so different than what you think it's there, like you're there for. And he does more than we ever think he could do. He uses every single thing to shape us. So just to be open to how he's going to navigate you and use you. And then I guess lastly is just to stay relentless in your pursuit of him, because that's really where our strength comes from as a student athlete, as an athlete in general. I mean, it's, it's a hard thing to do. And when you're a Christian, you know, it says in the Bible that the road is narrow, you know, the path is, you know, and many, there are few on the narrow road too. So you will be persecuted and just to know that going into it, um, but to not waver and that because he ultimately like the college is temporary, but the world is temporary and our eternal gain for how we love and show Jesus is far more worth anything we could ever do here on earth. So that's it. <laughs> Mic drop. <laughs> Mic drop. That is awesome, Alana. So many nuggets. So, so many nuggets. I would just like to thank you for being willing to share your story, share your experience. The one thing that I would just like to close out with as an encouragement 
to those listening. I think a lot of what Alana has said to us today is really impactful. And she's said so many great things. But one thing that is just on my heart to say and to share is to find community and know that you are not alone in what you're going through. I feel like that is the tagline of, we joked about it earlier, but that's the tagline of Alana's story. But I feel like one thing that we do as individuals when things aren't going our way, if we don't have that support system, if we're alone and we don't or are not willing to share because we are packing a lot of, of baggage with us because we all have a certain amount. But I'm just encouraged to hear how Alana transformed her journey of setting the table as just personal experiences, being a collegiate athlete, and then weaving all of that into this really redemptive story, if you will, of people that came into her life. But the key is she was pressing into God. She was pressing into her own values, her own life and saying, what do I do? And I feel like for those who have listened to her final takeaways, really latch on to those nuggets. They were so good. But at the end of the day, it's just a question of what do I do? What is my next step? So Alana, thank you so much for being on the show. I've greatly enjoyed it. I know that our audience is going to find value in that. And we now can close out the show and we can continue, continue being relentless followers of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Alana. Thank you so much. <laughs>